0: Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Eugene Godso. And this week, we've got a really interesting conversation with Christian Patel from Apollo, and he's their VP of product. He was employee number seven there. Organization is now over 200 folks. He leads product and leads all things growth. And super interesting conversation because you know Apollo was very much a sales-led organization. And then they transitioned over into being product led. And now over 70% of its revenue actually comes from self-serve. So humans and salespeople and customer success associates are not working with over 70% of its revenue. So they've really built this engine that he was kind of the mastermind behind. So quite a few topics we jump into, you know, first on a personal note how and why he shifted his career from sales. He started as an SDR at Oracle into now being the VP of product and growth at a a tech company. To how does he define product-led growth? He really simplifies it down. Um, Such a big buzzword right now that everybody talks about. So how do we actually define it? Next, how do you shift a company from sales-led to product-led and kind of the cultural implications of that? And then lastly, and probably most importantly, should you and your company experiment with product-led growth or not? We get into the details of talking about the company, product, who you serve, customers, and what criteria needs to be right for it to make sense to experiment and lean into something like this. So without further ado, here's Christian. Christian, welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you.
0: Hey, Eugene, excited to be here. I've been following Bowery Capital since the old days when Andrew
1: Odo was leading all of this. So excited to finally be talking with you. Yeah. Yeah. This is super cool. And, and we have a number of folks in our portfolio that use Apollo as well. I wanted to start with just getting an understanding of, of your background. I know we have a lot of salespeople listening. Uh, so you, you, to me, have had a really admirable and cool journey in your career that, have, that has gotten you to this point. So I don't know, would you just mind walking us through your career that's kind of gotten, gotten you where you are?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, coming out of college, I started my career in sales development. I was an SDR. They call them business development consultants at Oracle. Um, And, you know, I did that for around 11 months. What I realized is that Oracle, you know, it's a legacy company. It's like kind of bureaucratic. So, you know, I felt like if I really wanted to grow and push myself, um, that wasn't kind of the place for me. So then I started looking around for different places um, and I found Apollo. And the reason why I was really compelled to join Apollo was because I felt like it was a product that would have helped me, you know, close five times as many deals at Oracle. Um, and it's something that I could sell in my sleep. So I joined, you know, Apollo as an SDR, was doing that for three months, quickly got promoted into an AE role, then team lead. But what I realized in my career eventually was that every single month I was kind of doing the same thing where I was like, I know what I need to do at the beginning of the month to, you know, hit or exceed CODA. And then, you know, I feel really good once I get the commission check. And then the next month, it's the exact same thing. Um, so I started feeling like, you know, maybe that's not what I want to do for like the rest of my life. Um, and then, you know, I was really fortunate to get the opportunity to pivot into becoming growth product manager. Um, and, you know, from there, went into becoming our head of growth. And, you know, to where I'm now, which is a VP of products,
1: um, leading the entire org. Got it. Can you tell us about that moment where you realize, Hey, I think there's something else I want to do or a path I want to explore. And then was it by fate that this role was open? Were you working with your manager or, you know, kind of <laughs> like, how did this actually come from? I'm, a, I'm in sales to I'm now our product lead at growth.
0: Yeah. So it was actually kind of interesting where I was interviewing elsewhere for SDR manager roles. And I figured like, you know, maybe that's a good next step, um, you know, developing others and so on. Um, and I got to the point where I I found a place I was gonna join as an STR manager. And then I told my CEO that I'm looking to leave. Um, And at that point, there was an opportunity open for a growth PM in the business. And he felt like, you know, he saw me as an A player, which is like a, you know, methodology that we think about when we think about talent at Apollo is, you know, you can hire A players, but when you hire A players, you wanna retain them. Um, And he figured that, you know, just from what he's seen working with me in those two years up until that point, he felt like i would have the ability to grow into that role um, if i if he gave the opportunity to me so i was really excited about it i never saw a product as a door that would be open to me especially growth um, so i think because i was excited i spent so much time listening to podcasts like this i have a podcast playlist with like 300 hours plus of podcasts um you know you doing different courses on reforge reading every single blog i could um, up until the point where I became a, you know,
1: fully ramped up growth camp and was able to have a pretty successful career since then. Got it. To me, to me, it sounds like the takeaway is you were, you were doing great at your job. So you weren't just like looking for the next thing. You were an excellent person that the company valued and you had an internal champion, happened to be the CEO, but you had an internal champion that's like, Hey, we w- we want to retain you. We want to make sure you're achieving your personal career goals. And we're going to find a way for you to do it here. Is that right?
0: Yeah. And I think that's actually part of what I was looking for when I left Oracle is I was looking for a place where, you know, I can come in employee number seven and be a part of growing the company and going outside of the bounds of my own role as well. And I felt like Oracle is definitely not that. It's like, Oracle, if you have great ideas on how to transform the entire sales org. Your idea is not really being heard, honestly, unless you've been there for you know, five years and gone to the Sprite roles and so on. Um, but I was really fortunate to find a place which was Apollo to be able to encourage
1: that type of um, you know, work style. That's great. That's great. One of the things that struck me um, as, as very interesting when we were catching up before this is you mentioned there was a big shift at Apollo from being very much a sales led kind of VC backed tech startup um, to more of a product led. So I'd love to hear from you how you would define being a product-led company slash how how do you even view product-led growth, which I feel like is such a big buzzword these days. You know, how how would you define it?
0: Yeah, definitely. So product-led growth, um, you know, I think people probably have a lot of different definitions for it. I think the way I see it is it's when you take a strategy where you use your product to do things that teams of humans would typically do. So for example, you know, driving awareness, AKA marketing or converting customers, AKA sales or onboarding and retaining customers, AKA customer success or expanding accounts, AKA you know, account management. So obviously that's like a very simplified view because a good PLG strategy incorporates some of these other functions as well to kind of pour fuel on the buyer. But the user's primary relationship is with the product rather than the teams that are selling
1: and supporting the product. Got it. So then your role at that point is mapping out what the process is for someone to go from A to B using a person now and how do do we develop, either build or change the product so that it can do it instead of the human. Is that right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Like one of our North Star tenants at Apollo is reduce the need for human interaction. So we want to get to the place where 100% 100% of our users can sign up, reach their peak potential in Apollo, where they you know, gain so much value from Apollo that they you know, are hitting their goals and they'll never wanna stop using Apollo. And they'll pay us and expand with us as much as they need to, to continue gaining that value from Apollo. Um, so you know, that really feeds into our product strategy as well, because when we hear that people are asking our sales team about certain things, or asking our support team about certain things and so on, Our goal is to try to figure out how do we make sure that question never gets asked again and users can figure this this out intuitively. Um, It's actually something that we first picked up by learning from Atlassian,
1: which was like the OG product-led growth company. Got it. Yeah, because I was going to ask how you actually execute on that. You know, I think the idea of, hey, we want the product to do a lot of this for us makes sense. But I don't know, what's what's almost step one, whether it's someone in your role or um, the company as a whole making that big shift? How did you actually do it?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, so, so <laughs> there's the shift and then there's the, you know, how do you actually start to reduce the need for human interaction? So, you know, I think that the shift started with the why. So for those of you that don't know, Apollo is an all-in-one go-to-market platform that helps companies find their ideal prospects and build a repeatable process to convert them into customers with intelligence to guide them each step of the way. So originally, when we started out as a sales-led organization six to seven years ago, you know, we did have some success with the mid-market and enterprise, but we realized that we had a ton of interest from the SMB and SME businesses that wanted a one-stop shop to build their go-to-market strategy upon. Because, you know, at that time, there were other players like ZoomInfo or Outreach or InsightSquared that, you know, don't talk to each other. They cost a lot of money. They take a lot of time to onboard on. And if you're hiring, you know, new reps, you have to train people on like three or four different tools rather than just one. So we realized that, all these other players in the space were going after that top 1% of companies, the companies that had the most money to spend with them. But there was a severely underserved market for the other 99% of companies, the companies that didn't have the money, wanted a turnkey solution, wanted to be able to try something month to month and so on. And we realized that they loved our product. So it took a lot of debates initially, um, debates and like conservative experimentation to prove out that it would be a viable strategy for us to move towards a product-led growth strategy because we realized that we, although we had extreme product market fit with SMB, we didn't have product market channel fit with SMBs because those companies are trying to move extremely fast. They wanna get into the product and ask questions later. So, you know, we knew that this was something that we thought would make sense for us. We had to figure out how do you convince everyone that we had at the company at the time um, to, to be on board with this. And, and I think that was the biggest, you know the, the most difficult piece. Um, so it started with you know trying to run really ex- conservative experiments, such as building a self-serve product that had no monetization ability. So it had to be like really, really limited so that it doesn't cannibalize existing business. And on that product, we had to figure out how do we get people to just be able to get the value from Apollo without talking to human in the first place? So how do we get them to activate get the initial value from Apollo, and retain where they continue coming back to us without having customer success manager. Um, and I can speak more about the specifics of how we did that, but I'll talk about the steps for now. Um, the next step was testing monetization. So again, we were super conservative. So we had plans that you know people that were talking to sales would not get enough from, um, but other people that would get disqualified from sales would get enough from. And we built this like really janky thing where we had this pricing page where if you click for a plan, you got an email from me. Uh, and then I tell you to like put in your credit card information somewhere in the app. And then I manually process that payment for you. Um, and then our first month, we got 120K in ARR, which was, you know, around the same amount that our top sales reps would produce in a month. Um, so we were like, man, we're, we're really onto something here. Um, and then we started moving into some platform work to, you know, unify our self-serve and our, you know, and our core product at the time, building billing systems. You know, then focusing on acquisition, building a product-led SEO product that generated two million website visits monthly. Um, and you know, then we just continue looking at our flywheel metrics and use quantitative analysis to figure out the largest gaps and opportunities, and qualitative data to figure out you know, why those gaps exist and how we can capitalize on those opportunities and just becomes this loop until, you know, you are where we are now, where 70 to 80% of our revenue
1: comes through completely self-serve. Wow. Wow. You mentioned something there that I'd love to go a little bit deeper on. Um, You kind of split out, there's product market fit. So you knew the product worked well for smaller companies, but then you, you said a second term. I don't know if it was like product user fit or basically what I'm hearing is, Will those people in that market actually go through the steps to sign up? Is is that right?
0: Yeah. So it's product market channel fit, which is, you know, especially with the SMB space, you know, a lot of these companies don't have the time and budgets to, you know, go to a website, click request a demo, wait a week or two to get on an actual demo, just to get disqualified from that sales rep who doesn't want to talk to them because they don't have enough budget and so on. Um, so they, they need to move really fast, especially because, you know, they're in a very competitive environment. So um, that's really around, you know, what product market channel fit would mean. Is like, even if you have the best product for your
1: user base, you need to be able to deliver it to them in the way that they want to experience, you know, they want their buying experience. Got it. So then you were able to validate that you had both of those by building this like super janky MVP, even though it was more manual than actually automated, but that helped you get the validation and data to say, Hey, we should actually bit, lean into this and build build the thing, not just, you know, me sending emails. Yeah. Cause it's
0: like, Hey, we, we drove 120 K in that first month that replaced me. Cause I moved out of sales. So now yeah. when I scale myself to do, you know, have 20 Christians or, you know, 25 Christians, you know, that sound producing, you know, every single month instead. And I,
1: we just realized the scalability of this thing was um, far superior than the ability to scale sales sales. Team. Yeah. If there's a founder listening, that's maybe thinking about leaning into product led growth or is already leaning into it. Um, what are some signals or things that you would be looking for to identify? Hey, this this is a good idea. Um, this is something we should start testing.
0: Yeah, definitely. So that's a good question. I think there's a few components that go into it. So one is the you know company size and like the the market segment that you're operating in. If you're operating with enterprises that you know only do top-down sales where the CIO needs to be involved in every buying decision and you have a bunch of you know red lines on every single contract and so on, it's probably really hard to you know you know, make that sale through product-led growth. If you're working with SMB companies or if you're working with bottoms-up solutions at, you know, enterprises or mid-markets where the end user themselves, such as the developer or so on, is the person that's actually buying the tool, I think those are cases where, you know, product-led growth can make a lot more sense. Two is thinking about the time to value. If you have a product that takes four weeks to set up or eight weeks to set up, probably going to be really hard to get someone to do, go through that entire process um, completely self-serve if you have something where someone can sign up and within minutes gain the value from your product, um, that typically tends to work a lot better. Um, and then maybe the, the last thing would just be looking at the types of companies that you sell to as well. Like if you're selling into a space where it's extremely legacy, um, maybe like manufacturing as an example, or like farming as an example, where you know, people aren't as you know, familiar with technology, uh, I think
1: it's gonna be a lot harder to guide people through the experience through the product as well in, in those cases. Got it. So in the case of Apollo, were you already selling into that perfect segment and just humans were were doing it? Or was that just an underserved market in general?
0: So we were disqualifying a lot of that segment. Uh, We were getting so much interest from that segment, but it was heartbreaking to have to turn away so much revenue. It was like, hey, if we drop this price for, you know, this... Company or if we turned a gave them a month-to-month deal for this company, like they'll buy us, and we were getting those questions all the time from sales. Um, but we just always had to say no and like stay firm on our pricing because that's what our competitors did, and we thought that we had to do what our competitors did. Um, but then what we realized is our competitors were just being a product of capitalism, which is you know they build their business to make money from the you know from the people that have the most money to spend. Um, and I actually this is one thing I really appreciate about Apollo is that. We're trying to increase accessibility so that any company can build a world-class go-to-market function, um, and they can get set up immediately with a turnkey
1: solution that has everything in one place. Got it. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, I want to dive quickly into the stats and then and maybe even go a little deeper into the how you achieve some of them. Some that really stood out to me is you know, your self-serve revenue grew from obviously $0 a month to over $2 million of ARR per month, um, even just your traffic on your site went from 6,500 visits to over 2 million, like two and a half million visits per month. Um, and then, the customer retention went from about 73% to over 90%. So I don't know if there's a particular stat you want to, you want to chat about, but, um, that's obviously a lot of accomplishment in, in, in this shift. So making the shift very successful.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, I can say that the the two million dollars in ARR is probably like two point five now. Like that's that's more so the side thing where it's like the results of everything else. Um, so maybe starting with like the traffic. So yeah, we used to have very little traffic, and especially for our product led you know company, if our product is self serviceable, we just want to figure out how do we pour more people into the sign up funnel because if, if we pour people into there, they're gonna figure themselves out. They'll they'll end up you know converting into customers or just retaining with us you know over time. Um, so the one thing that we started doing is just research around where are people looking for contact information, which is like one of the core things that Apollo provides. We have a huge database of 220 million contacts uh, and, you know, over 20 million companies. Uh, we realized that a lot of people that don't have tools for these contacts uh, or for, you know, sales data or sales intelligence, they use Google. So they'll be looking up like Eugene Godso email address on, G- on Google and so on to try to find some type of information about you. And we had this fantastic information on hundreds of millions of people and companies already. So we figured that what we can do is expose a little bit of this information on landing pages on our external marketing website, but make sure that they have to sign up if they wanna get the full information about anyone, like their email address, their phone number, information on their technologies they use, funding, hiring data, and so on. Um, So that was really interesting because each one of those pages might only lead to one or two signups, maybe even half, no signups in some cases. When you have hundreds of millions of those pages, you it's very likely that someone's going to find those through just crawling through Google. Um, and that was really the product that ho- we built to help us you know, take our traffic to you know, 22.4 20, million visits per month um, and get us to over a million signups. Um, and then I guess when, when it comes to user retention, so you can sign up all the people you want. But if they're not continuing to use you, uh, especially for like three months, four months, and like eventually turning into customers, then you have a leaky funnel. And at some point you're gonna run out of your like total addressable market. Like they're all gonna have used Apollo and never wanna use it again because they feel like they've been there and done that and didn't work for them. So we focus really, really heavily on improving our user retention so that even if someone doesn't convert to paid immediately, they stick around in our free user base until their companies reach the size where they do need some of our advanced features and they do need to pay. Um, I think that was that was a very difficult challenge because you know, user retention is one of the really notorious metrics that people feel is really hard to move. Um, but I think it just came down to quantitative data analysis to understand what are the leading indicators that we can get users to do early on to make sure that we retain the long term. And then qualitative data you know, analysis to figure out Now, how do we get users to do those types of things? And why do users do or like why do users not do those things currently Um, and so on?
1: Got it. Am, Am I thinking about it correctly? If I really simplify the funnel is step one, figure out how to bring traffic to you. So what are people already searching for and how do they end up coming to you? Because without traffic, it doesn't matter how easy it is to sign up. So now you're getting traffic. Step 2, make it really easy for people to sign up and start getting value versus having to talk to someone or, you know, it's like 10 hours of implementation. No, make it really easy so there's not a reason for them to give up. Now they're on the platform. Step 3 is retain. Give them a free or, you know, for very, doing very minimal work, now they're going to have a very rewarding, viable experience which they're then going to either pay money or pay more money and upsell later. So that's that's the funnel, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that step two and step three actually came first where we got those to like a decent place before we poured a bunch of fuel into the signups because otherwise we would have burned a bunch of our total addressable market. Once we were in a decent place there, then we wanted to figure out how do we get more out of that user base, out of those signups? Because when people retain, they don't only convert to paid, but they also start, you know, spreading the word to others. So if other SDRs are asking about like, Hey, what are you doing for your, to get your leads and so on, they're talking about Apollo cause that's what they're living in every single day.
1: Mm. Oh, that's, that's, that's such a good call out cause I might think naturally just go in order, but if step two and three aren't, aren't mapped out and at a pretty high level, you're really wasting money building part one. Right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. What are, what are some either hurdles or challenges you faced as you were building this and scaling it up maybe that you didn't expect or, or that were harder than anticipated?
0: Yeah, I think um, one probably the biggest hurdle that I, I did expect um, was just you know, starting as a sales-led company, <laughs> the relationships and just you know, trying to convince people that, hey, we're here to help you at the end of the day. I think, um, you know, sales at the time probably felt like, you know, it was us versus them where we're eating into their quota and so on. And, you know, we built an enterprise sales team and, you know, there was a lot of fear. And a lot of those people actually left the company. It was like, there's a lot of turmoil in those very, very early years when we were first making this decision um, because, you know, people felt like we were trying to get rid of them as a function. Um, but actually, you know, what happened was the contrary where right now, we have you know, 10 times as many sales reps as we had back then. Most of them are hitting quota extremely easily where we can even sell 50K deals that go buy, that you know, close in weeks because the product does most of the selling already. And you know, a good sales team's there to just kind of push them over the edge and help them do the things that only humans can do. Um, so I think that was the piece. It's just really you know making sure that we get alignment within the entire org. And I think it really helped that my CEO was very much on board and he's extremely data driven as well. So um, you know, he definitely helped drive a lot of that alignment. I think the second thing was just proving things through experimentation and data. And like, we did have to be more conservative on some of our experiments than we would like to. Um, but whenever we had data to, you, know, you can't really argue with, <laughs> with, the, with the
1: numbers. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. And I, I really like how you even called out specific examples of making sure you weren't cannibalizing the revenue from some reps by starting with the free product, right? Hey, we're not actually taking revenue away from your quota. And then eventually as, as you build it out, um, you have enough data points on how this is actually helping them sell more deals, hit more quota, there's more market validation, kind of those, those longer tail effects um, to help get over that almost culture shift or mentality shift, right?
0: Oh yeah, exactly. And I think we have probably like two people on our sales team that are still around from back then. So they were troopers, like made it through, yeah. you know, I think the sales org was shifting every few months where like we'd ask them to do something differently. So I felt really bad for them, honestly, because, you know, they were not in the best position because everything that they thought that they would be doing for the next year would like change every three months. Yeah. Um, but for us, we were really appreciative to have like strong partners in our UK sales at the time as well um,
1: to try to rally the rest of the org. Got it. Got it. Um, what, what other advice, maybe something we haven't talked about, would you give to a, a founder that is leaning more into, hey, I'm, I want to spend more time, energy, effort into um, having more product-led growth versus, versus sales-led?
0: Yeah, I think it would be just taking a look at the market and trying to think of, is this a competitive advantage to you as well? Like, you know, are you actually serving the market in a better way because you're a product led company? Are you serving some type of underserved need because you're a product led company? Um, Do you have the ability to actually, you know, actually significantly improve every single part of the flywheel? So from acquisition to activation, to user engagement, to user retention, to virality, to, you know, revenue conversion, to upsells, like, do you have the actual ability to do all of those through the product itself eventually? Um, and if so, like maybe it does make sense to start taking a look at, you know, um, experimenting at least, you know, with the viability of product led. Um, but if not, then there's a lot of businesses out there that, you know, sell 100K deals, million dollar deals just purely through an enterprise sales team and they're able to be successful as well. So I don't, I wouldn't say it's for everyone, but I say that it's especially advantageous when, you know, you have a unique fit with your market um, and you're serving some type of
1: underserved need. Yeah, yeah, so fortunately or unfortunately, I feel like the answer is always kind of, it depends, right? (laughs) There there obviously isn't a blanket answer on go sales heavy or product-led growth heavy. Um, A lot of the companies we're working with are experimenting and actually doing both kind of successfully depends on the target customer, whether it's enterprise or their SMB, sounds like this is what Apollo is doing as well. So really cool to get that insight. Thanks for sharing.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I guess before we go, I'd love to learn a bit more about Apollo for folks that are out there listening. Are you guys hiring? What's got you so excited about the company? Um, tell us about it.
0: Yeah, definitely. So just to repeat for you know, those that don't know, you know, Apollo is an all-in-one turnkey go-to-market platform that helps you find your ideal prospects and build the process to consistently turn them into customers. Uh, and you know, we really wanna guide you along the way on not just how to use a product, but the strategy that's gonna make your business successful. So I think one of the things that I really love about Apollo is that we're the only company in our space that's truly doing right by our users, first and foremost. So like our primary goals are make every customer wildly successful and helping them understand, you know, what is it, not just again, like how to use the product, but what strategies they need to take for their businesses to become successful. Two is like, we wanna engage and retain our users. in order to do that, we need to continuously deliver value to them. So there's no reason to not use Apollo. And three is we want to increase accessibility so that, you know, where the market is right now, where most companies are just targeting those top 1% that have the money to spend. We want to make sure that all those other companies get a fighting chance to make sure that their products get in the hands of those that can actually be helped by it. So I think we're doing something pretty cool and pretty different, especially compared to the rest of the space here. Um, and if anyone's interested in joining, we're hiring across the board, even through this, you know, somewhat recession
1: that might be going on right now. Um, we're in a really strong state. Awesome. If folks want to reach out to you, what's, what's the best way to get in touch?
0: Yeah, I think um, LinkedIn is probably the, be- the best choice right now. I'm not, not the best at email. I'm good at Slack. So, uh, yeah, LinkedIn, you
1: can just look me up, Christian Patel uh, at Apollo. Awesome. Christian, thanks so much. Thanks for coming to the podcast and I look forward to chatting again soon.